Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. So yeah, just let me know. Um, well, I make you moderator. I hope it's not too distracting when you get um, updates who wants to raise their hand. So when you see your colleague, uh, you can just click on their profile picture or on the profile picture and then invite to speak or let me just know who it is and then I'll do that. Okay, sounds good. Uh, we'll wait a few minutes and then, you know, I'll introduce sure. you and then I just don't have a bio from your colleague. Um, oh, um, she's um, she's an associate professor at University of Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I'll be doing most of the talking, but I'll uh, introduce her if oh, okay. she so also I'll... wants to speak. <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect. So I'll introduce you and you introduce her. So perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Thank you. Good. How are you? Hi, Katarina. Hi, Nari. Pleased to Hi. be with you all. Yeah, we'll start in around three minutes. Um, let's give people time to arrive. I also have to ping people in. So yeah, two to three more minutes. Okay. Can I start with a prelim question? Mm-hmm. How many different, so I'm aware of, my, my model for tonality of language is Chinese, and there's five tones in that. How many different languages are we going to cover today? Um, today, I'll be just talking about Mandarin. Um, so it's just going to be four tones plus a neutral tone. Um, but I didn't include the neutral tone. So um, since whether that's really contrastive is a different topic, <laughs> I guess. So um, yeah, we'll be just covering Mandarin. Um, I'll be just doing some intro to intro and covering some other languages and like how musicality affects them. But um, we won't be de delving into other tonal languages other than Mandarin. I'm I'm sure it will make for a fascinating discussion. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. I can ask another sort of background question. Is, uh, is Mandarin uh, a language that you're fluent in? I'm not a speaker of Mandarin. Um, my co-authors are, so they gave me more insight on this um, in the corpus. Um, yeah, I've been working with this corpus and other Mandarin corpora for quite a long time, so. At least for tones, I'm pretty <laughs> um, comfortable with working with. Do you have a Do you have a favorite word in Mandarin? A favorite word in Mandarin. Um, I've been working with like children data. I don't have a reason why, but I find. Um, I mean, I guess just because um, always we get a lot of tones in them, like ma or my and not necessarily um, restricting myself to the actual meanings of the words, but like the sound and because there are uh, all types of tones that can align with it. I like those. 
Ma as in Ni Hao Ma. <laughs> yeah, or um, Ma as in like it can also be horse and mother and so yeah. All the meanings, yes, it should be fun. All the all the different tones and meanings that can. Oh, let me invite my co-author and my. Um, if I click invite on stage, does that move her to the um, the list of people who can talk? Uh, just let us know who it is, and as soon as they enter, let us know, and I'll make sure to bring them up. Oh, it's Jinjing Kuang. It... She's already okay. here. Is it the snowman? Yes. Okay, all right, here we go. Invited to speak. Perhaps she's away from keyboard. She has an okay. And then if anyone else in the room would like to invite others, you can hit the box with an up arrow on it, depending on which version of the software you're on. And you can invite people from there. You can share on Clubhouse or your other social media. You can copy a link and direct message it to people. Um, please go ahead if you want to do that right now. Thank you, Jonathan, for your share. Yeah, thank you um, for coming. Um, I think we can slowly start and then we can always give uh, very short summaries uh, for people that came in late maybe. So I'll just start uh, introducing Nari and then, and then we go from there. So welcome everyone to the Science Society. Thank you for coming, uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we are very honored today to have our guest speaker, um, Na Dr. Nari Ri. Um, she is a speech scientist and a computational linguist. And she's finishing up her PhD in linguistics at the University of Pennsylvania. Her PhD thesis investigates the many-to-many -many mapping between cues and categories in speech with a particular focus on prosody. Nari did her bachelor's in computational linguistics at UCLA and will be starting to work at Apple in the Siri team in Seattle starting April 2022. That's very soon. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for taking the time in such an exciting time of your life. Um, <laughs> and um, we are very honored to have you and the stage is yours. Thank you for the introduction and thank you so much again for having me here. Um, I'm very excited to be able to talk to a completely new group um, in a completely new setting. Um, 
Um, I'm not too familiar with the 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 uh, uh, this kind of setting and talk. Um, so at any point, if you have any questions, just feel free to just uh, speak up or raise your hand, um, and I'll um, let you ask the question. Ask away. Um, Katerina has already shared the paper, so if you want, you can have that um, up in front of you as I go on. So I'll delve right into the talk. It's musicality and age interaction in tone development. Um, as humans, we all appreciate. Oops, sorry. Uh, we all appreciate some form of music, right? Um, Music has always been part of our lives, dating back all the way to our early ancestors, like 40,000 years back, who made like rhythmic instruments using bone pipes. Today, we still enjoy music. Um, whether or not you actively listen to music uh, from childhood, our mothers or fathers would have sung lullabies for us when we were babies. Um, and there's always background music and the Netflix shows that you watch. So we all have music all around us, but our sensitivity to the musical components are different. Some individuals are more talented at music, while others can be tone deaf. And others can also take music lessons and become better at it. The term musicality that we'll be using throughout this talk um, <clears throat> refers, to, sorry, refers to an individual's cognitive capability for music, shaped by both innate aptitude and musical training. At one end of the spectrum of musicality are the individuals with congenital amusia, a neurogenetic disorder that affects the processing of musical cues. These congenitally amusic population make up about 4% of the general population. At the other end are perhaps those with absolute pitch, the rare ability to label musical notes of a given sound without external reference. While most people uh, fall in neither the most advantaged nor the disadvantaged portion of the musicality spectrum, individuals' mu musical processing abilities can also improve with musical training and exposure. Among various music-related cues associated with the term musicality, the pitch processing aspect of musicality has particularly received attention from language researchers such as myself and my colleagues. Um, in how the advantages or deficiencies in uh, pitch processing skills transfer to the linguistic perception and production of pitch cues. So the question that people have been asking is, what effect would musicality have on the perception and um, production of pitch cues used in languages? Many researchers studying both first and second language acquisition have shown that individuals with higher musicality have some advantage in language learning. Today, we'll focus on the effect of musicality on the development and use of people's native languages, so first language acquisition only. Um, previous literature have found a positive effect of musicality on various aspects of first language acquisition, including verbal memory, verbal intelligence, reading, vocabulary, syntactic processing, phonological awareness, and phonological processing. So a lot of things, uh, many aspects of language um, show some 
positive correlation with musicality. But out of all, the effect was strongest and the most direct on the processing of prosody because prosody is the supersegmental element of speech, including tone, intonation, stress, accent, rhythm, emotion, that um, are communicated over different phonetic cues such as pitch, uh, the length of sounds, and the loudness or the voice quality of the sounds. And such cues are exactly the cues that are uh, that musicality is associated with and the tests of musicality would assess. Okay, so being fluent in a language means two parts. You can listen and perceive and process all the cues of the language and you can produce the utterances in the language. Let's start with production. Regarding the effect of musicality on speech production, uh, scholars have found that regardless of their musicality, adult native speakers of a language can produce the prosodic phrasal F0 contours of global rises like questions and falls like in statements. Um, furthermore, speakers of lexical tone languages such as Mandarin or Cantonese also have no problem in producing the lexical tones, uh, which involve a very local and fast manipulation of vocal pitch. So in short, it seems that there is a positive effect of music. Oh wait, sorry. There is no positive effect of musicality in producing native prosodic cues in the adults. On the other hand, though, regarding the effect of musicality on prosodic perception, scholars have found that there is indeed some effect. In fact, uh, adults with musical experience were better than non-musicians at detecting manipulations of the, um, the pitch of the final words in the sentences. Um, this a similar effect has been found for German, Canadian, French, um, English, uh, where listeners with amusia were worse than non-amusic, non so typical uh, population, at discriminating statements from questions on the basis of the sentence final intonation contours. Musicality also influences lexical tone perception. Um, native speakers of Mandarin and Cantonese with lower musicality are less accurate than the controls in their tonal discrimination. And they also show reduced categorical perception of tones. So they're, the boundary of the tone, um, the tones perceived were less steep um, and less distinct for the non-musicians or the less music, uh, the lower musicality group. So since production um, has no associated association with musicality, but perception does, there seems to be an asymmetry in the effect of musicality. Now, but this was all for the adults. Uh, what about for children? Uh, studies have shown that prosodic development starts very early, but recent work has also found that development of adult-like prosody is not complete even in early adolescence. Can musicality boost the development? While there are uh, fewer studies on children, there were a few studies um, on French and Portuguese speaking children 
on their ability to perceive pitch differences in prosody or in the um, in in the phrasal intonation of contours. Just like the adults, the studies found that musician children were better at detecting the small different uh, small differences in pitch in prosody. And to my knowledge, there are even fewer studies on the effect of musicality on the production side, um, of, so the production of prosody for children. But one study on Dutch learning four to 10 year olds have found that um, higher musicality is indeed positively correlated with a more adult-like prosodic realization um, of focus marking and this correlation became weaker at older ages. But for tonal languages, um, there, uh, to my knowledge, there are no studies um, investigating how the native tone language development is affected by musicality. Hence, our study is to fill this gap, at least from the production side of things. So is there any musicality advantage on the production of tones for native tone language learning children? Um, Jinjing, did you want to say something? No, I just uh, clicked. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Sorry to interrupt. Um, oh, no, no, no. Uh, let me quickly introduce my co-author and my um, uh, my advisor, my supervisor uh, of my PhD program. So she, she is Jinjin Kuang. Um, she's an associate professor at University of Pennsylvania in linguistics. And she can join um, and uh, fill me in whenever you have any comments to add. Or if you have any questions specifically for her, you can also ask her. Okay, so we've covered most of um, like musicality um, and the effect of musicality on uh, what we know so far from the literature on what we um, on the effect of musicality on prosodic development and um, from both production and perception sides. But now, before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about what pitch is really. So. Pitch is a very important cue in languages, as we all know already. Um, because information about the tone, intonation, stress, emotion, um, all, these all these things are all distinguished via pitch cues, the ability to process and produce pitch cues accurately is central to the ac um, accurate speech perception and production. So far, we've been referring to pitch as equivalent or a similar concept of um, as the fundamental frequency of the vocal sound. The term pitch is actually the perceived frequency defined as high versus low in perception. But the perceptually equidistant difference in pitch or in mel scale does not linearly map to the actual frequency in hertz and furthermore, this is affected also by other covariant cues in production of this vocal pitch. The F0 of voice is, of course, a very important acoustic cue for pitch, but there is also an important um, acoustic cue that is less discussed in the literature. That is, um, 
voice quality. So listeners perceive higher pitch when tenser voice is used and lower pitch when breathier voice or other um, creakier voice is used. So um, let me try to uh, de demonstrate this since we don't have um, like slides for, uh, for us to look at. Um, I can quickly demonstrate what this really means. So um, when we reach high or low, like extreme F0 targets within um, our F0 range, um, the tension in the vocal folds also build up or uh, loosen up. So when I produce the same F0, but with different voice quality, you will perceive different pitch. So let me try to, uh, try to demonstrate this. So when I say ah versus ah, you can, you can hear the differences in voice quality, right? But studies have also found that the, the differences in voice quality also affect the, uh, the um, perception of pitch um, in this. Yeah, so like the voice quality also affects the uh, perception of pitch. And so let me try to give you some more examples. So when I, I'm going to say um, two sentences. And you should try to see if the um, apple in the sentence is higher in pitch um, in the first sentence versus the second sentence. So give me the apple again versus give me the apple again. So um, I because I am not very, very good at controlling the voice quality, I was, I mistakenly also made give me the again part also um, breathier in the second sentence. So I'm not sure if that really had a, uh, that was a good demonstration of the, um, how voice quality affects your perception. But um, if this was done correctly, um, pe more people would uh, respond to saying, uh, re respond by saying that the second apple in this um, sentence, in the second sentence was actually lower in pitch, even though in F0, it was identical. So if I have successfully demonstrated that for you, um, there's more evidence showing that even for lexical tone language speakers or listeners, um, tones are also produced with reliable and co-varying voice quality or spectral cues. So um, I'll be referring to voice quality cues as also spectral cues because, spect um, because inf information about voice quality can also be measured in the spectrum um, through spectral tilt or spectral noise. Um, and these cues have been shown um, in the literature to be, uh, to be correlated with um, the different voice quality, like the tenseness in the voice, okay? And so um, spectral cues are useful enhancement cues to pitch in tone production, as I just mentioned. And so in investigating the musicality effect on Mandarin tones or Mandarin prosody, it is also essential to investigate what the effect is on each acoustic correlate of pitch cues, including not only F0, but also these spectral voice quality cues. 
So in this study, we test two things, Mandarin, uh, whether Mandarin learning children with higher musicality have some advantage in the acquisition of the four lexical tones of Mandarin, and whether the musicality advantage holds for the production of all acoustic correlates of pitch. So um, if there's any question right now about um, the background and the motivation for this study, I'm happy to answer them now. Otherwise, we'll delve in right into the methods. I do have a uh, kind of a, a basic question, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the difference between pitch and frequency? Uh, you also mentioned the fundamental frequency, and so oh. if you can distinguish, yeah. Great, great, thank you. Sure. So the fundamental frequency, so frequency as in like the hertz, the, um, the number of cycles in the, um, in a given period, like how many, like the how many uh, cycles of the same. Um, sorry, let me try to rephrase that. Um, so the frequency of a sound is um, how many uh, cycles of the same same uh, oscillation are. And the fundamental frequency is what is the um, the the lowest um, sorry sorry so there's going to be a, um, in vocals vocal pitch or in there in usually when we listen to sounds it's actually going to be a complex sound it has multiple components. And this is uh, because it's a complex sound, it has multiple um, frequencies that are involved. But the fundamental frequency is the, the lowest frequency of the, the, the complex sound that we, that we listen to. So when I say ah, um, whether that, if that's like, for example, 120 hertz, um, that is when uh, that is the fundamental frequency that we're talking about. Um, yes? Uh, I suppose it's the, probably you're talking about the vocal, uh, maybe larynx, the organ uh, larynx that can, the lowest frequency that the larynx can produce, is that correct? Uh, the fundamental yeah. frequency? Yes, the, um, the, the, freq the lowest frequency that the larynx that is producing is that can produce sorry so um the fundamental frequency is just by the definition so in the the waveform um in the periodic waveform what is the lowest frequency it's not necessarily the lowest sound that you can make with your larynx um but it's um just the the um the lowest frequency that is so, um, because if for example, if for example, mm -hmm. the on a guitar 440 hertz is the note of A, what would be perhaps a reference frequency in this discussion? I, I, I would think that in a, on a guitar, um, the that's you, you have a string, and then uh, the low fre lowest frequency would be the standing wave that. Um, when you have the, the because the string is 
fixed on both ends. And then the this one, uh, basically half half of the wavelength that um, that forms the the uh, uh, the the, uh, the the whole length of the string. That that's the lowest frequency I can produce. Uh, so so I think that probably that uh, the vocal for vocal that would be the lowest frequency that the uh, the larynx can produce. I, I would think so, right? And of course, I mean the. Okay. Yeah, so the fundamental frequency, so our vocal fold is not just a string, so it's actually like has a 3D structure, it's pretty complex. So the biggest mass, um, it's like vocal fold is also not just a, a thin string, it also have some mass and thickness. So the fundamental frequency physiologically actually corresponding to um, the, like the rate of the vocal fold vibration, like the biggest mass vibration rate so that's the fundamental frequency so what nari explained is in the acoustic domain that's kind of when we talk about every sound can be decomposed into multiple frequency component and the fundamental frequency is the lowest like the longest repeating pattern um, in the waveform so is there a difference between uh, pitch and frequency so pitch is in the um, auditory domain it's what we interpret what our ear and the brain interpret the frequency yeah but that's different I, and yeah Nari can talk more about this yeah sure so uh, yeah thank you thank you for filling me in and thanks again for um, the clarification clarification question so um yeah so in the in the uh, physiological domain that is Yes, indeed, the um, the sound, the frequency of the vocal fold vibration would be something that's um, matching the the fundamental frequency. But fundamental frequency is actually in the acoustic domain. So when we analyze the uh, or when we um, record the sound of the vocal fold vibrations, we get um, some waveform, right? And then the period that is um, the the longest period that is repeating um, will be the frequency of the period that is repeating it was, would be the fundamental frequency in terms of the acoustic um, acoustic sense and then this um, also is correlated uh, not entirely linearly but correlated with how we perceive the sound um, so usually um, up to about like hundred uh, a thousand hertz it is said to be quite linear. So like when we listen to ah, 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 like we hear that it has an increasing pitch, right? And pitch, so what we mean by pitch is this um, perception of sound, perception of whether it's high versus low in sound. And it tends to be correlated with fundamental frequency and the vibration of the vocal folds. But um, as I was just kind of explaining earlier, the, um, the, perception of the the f0 or the fundamental frequency um, is not just or the perception of the vocal full vibration um, is not linearly mapping to the actual f act, uh, actual fundamental frequency in acoustics and there are more component uh, more factors that are playing into the perception of this pitch 
and um, these uh, other factors that are playing into the perception of the pitch includes um, cues such as cues in the spectrum, um, such as like is the spectrum like more tilted versus whether it's more um, whether it's flatter and whether there's more noise in the spectrum like with more like breathiness ah, um, versus whether it's like just um, less noise in the spectrum like ah like very tense so yeah more things are involved in the actual perception of pitch but usually in the literature people just discuss pitch as um, a the the perceptual correlate of fundamental frequency and um, I was just talk I was just saying that indeed that's um, that is that is not quite um, that is a good um, proxy of pitch but it's not a complete like one-to-one um, -one mapping and a linear mapping um, so there we has to it has to be taken with caution and more studies should also investigate um, other cues that affect the perception of pitch such as these spectral cues so so um, would that be um, accurate say let's say let's say the uh, pitch would be let's say something like a if I do a spectral analysis uh, say, uh, meaning that uh, do a Fourier uh, the decomposition, the um, and then uh, if I plot the 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 amplitude of uh, sound, yeah. If I plot the amplitude of sound against the uh, frequency, uh, would that be pitch? Uh, would be let's say a Gaussian shaped uh, curve uh, centered around the uh, one frequency, and then there's a kind of a envelope, uh, a, a Gaussian uh, shaped curve around it, and then depending on the width of the uh, the spread uh, of the Gaussian curve, uh, there there's different perception of pitch, and um, so is there like a more kind of this kind of um, an, uh, analysis and definition of pitch? So um, I think I get what you mean, but just to clarify, so you're saying if we were to plot the um, amplitude against the frequency, but you mean frequency of the fundamental frequency or the different component, like spectral components? Uh, yeah, spectral components. So if I do a, a Fourier transform uh, or yes. analysis, uh, and then I plot the uh, uh, the y-axis is the uh, the amplitude of each frequency, mm -hmm. and then uh, the uh, I have different frequencies. Uh, uh, X-axis plot uh, as uh, the yeah. frequency, and then um, would I be close to describe a pitch? Let's say uh, the this uh, this this envelope, this Gaussian, this Gaussian curve, and then the center or the high peak is centered around one frequency and then uh, you know it spreads around uh, and, and, and then yeah. you have um, if you do like a spectral decomposition um, if you get if you 
plot the amplitude of the spect uh, of the spectral components against the frequency against the amplitude, you'll get like uh, not a Gaussian, but like um, a uh, if if because if that's like a vocal a vocal sound vocal full vibration you'll get like um a slightly falling um slope so the low the lowest uh lowest uh component in that freak in the frequency versus amplitude amplitude domain so if that's like for example hundred hertz that's actually your uh, fundamental frequency and then at each harmonic um, like a mul uh, the multiple of that fundamental frequency you will get some amplitude and that's going to be your um, harmonics and you'll get some amplitude at those but um, the fundamental frequency is usually also the loudest so it'll be the highest and then it'll like fall, 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 and clo get closer to zero when it's when it reaches like a very high frequency, like um, at, for example, like um, ten thousand hertz, there'll be very low amplitude. Uh, I see. So, so you, would you say, let's say, um, with the same plot, um, uh, would you you basically you're saying it's like an exponential decay uh, with the Highest yeah. frequency at the uh, lowest, I mean, high, highest amplitude at the lowest frequency, and then decay uh, as the uh, frequency increases uh, as an integer multiple of the uh, uh, the fundamental frequency, right? Yeah, that's approximately right. So it's uh, the, the the first harmonic there. The fundamental frequency isn't necessarily always the loudest, but it is t usually around there that has the loudest, um, the highest amplitude. And um, yeah, and then it just becomes like a, a decay. And um, the rate of rate of decay is the spectral tilt that I've been talking about. And so a breathy sound like a ha sound will have a, will tend to have a faster decay versus a ah, like a tense sound would have a, a pretty uh, flat slope, like a, or, or at least a not as um, steep spe spectral tilt. And so that's where you get the voice quality um, information from the spectrum. So you're saying that basically, um, however you produce the sound, uh, however it's high pitch or low pitch, the fundamental frequency always has the uh, highest amplitude. It's only the house decay. If it decays faster, then you perceive as uh, perceive the sound as uh, lower pitched. And then if it decays uh, slower, you perceive the sound as the uh, as a higher pitch. Is that correct? So for the same fundamental frequency. Um, if it's higher, uh, if it's has steeper spectral tilt, then it'll be perceived as usually um, lower in pitch than tensor sounds uh, with with a flat spectral tilt. Um, but if the fundamental frequency changes, then of course um, the perception of pitch will also 
will be primarily uh, be controlled by the fundamental frequency. So if that um, goes up, then the perception of pitch will also go up. But then for the same frequency, if it's breathier versus tensor or has uh, has steeper spectral tilt versus not as steep, then you'll get um, a different perception of pitch is what I'm what I was saying. I see. So maybe so the fundamental frequency you can change by, uh, let's say, uh, muscle controlling the mm -hmm. larynx. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yes. Yeah, and then the size of the vibrational area is—is is that correct? Yeah, and then by changing like the voice of the vocal tract, like other parts of your um, vocal tract, uh, or um, by the uh, how much air you're you're um, allowing through uh, you, during your vocal full vibration, you will get a different um, spectral information and that's also very uh different voice quality okay yeah i i guess also the mouth uh the the space the the volume mm -hmm. of the mouth and then the uh this wall of the mouth yeah how, how that vibrates uh, as well i guess right yeah 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 the so like if we if we were to divide the source like the vocal fold part and then the, the filter, the vocal tract part. So like throughout, through the mouth um, and the, you know, the vocal, like uh, further down in your mouth, there's like a area where it can also resonate, right? So the filter part will also play into how um, the, the sound is perceived. And um, the vocal source part, just a, a vocal fold or a larynx vibration um, will, of course, is the source, and so that's also going to um, affect the perception. But um, even if we weren't to look at the the source part, uh, depending on how much air you're allowing in the um, in the actual source, uh, it'll already kind of um, change the the spectral information. So there are multiple components to this, like the multiple factors that uh, affect the spectral information and the fundamental frequency. But um, that's exactly, I guess, like what we were saying is that we should pay attention to all these factors, or at least some of the factors that are that are known to affect the perception of pitch. So. Um... If I scale up the the magnitude uh, just by a constant mm -hmm. scale, and, and but the distribution is all uh, have the similar shape, uh, does that also affect the perception of the pitch? Um. Uh, what, what I mean is, uh, like the the plot uh, I mentioned before, the magnitude versus mm -hmm. the uh, um, the the frequency. If I just multiply the whole profile by a single constant, uh, would that also uh, uh, you still have the similar kind of geometrically in the similar shape of the profile? But but it, uh, but it would change the that, megahertz output. Uh, megahertz? No, no. The frequency frequency is the um, 
So basically the frequency profile is similar. I, I, what, what I do is just multiply the, the magnitude uh, by a constant uh, for the yeah. whole frequency. Does that uh, affect the uh, perception of pitch? Um, I don't think it would, but it'll just sound louder, right? Yes, yes. And then uh, yeah. the, the same distribution of the, the energy uh, um, yes. All over the frequency, so. Right. And, so, so that yeah. wouldn't change the tilt information. That would also not add any noise, spectral noise. So that's not actually um, changing at least the two dimensions that we were talking about: spectral tilt and spectral noise. Um, and also, the fundamental frequency also wouldn't change. So that's just uh, making the sound louder, not like not louder, not necessarily. Um, changing the pitch. So I don't think uh, multiplying by a constant would change the cool. perception right. of pitch. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions about um, anything we've covered so far? Um, hey, Nari. Um, hi. Hi, yeah, um, since, you know, we probably don't have you for a lot of time, I thought it would just be nice if, you know, you maybe uh, just go through the rest of your work and then if there's more time at the end, then we can ask more questions because we want to make sure that you get through everything. Um, okay. How does that sound? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, we don't want right. to waste too much of your time if, you know, it's nighttime, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I'll go right it. I'll, I'll I'll go right into the um, how the experiments were done. So we had a total of 43 typically developing monolingual Mandarin-speaking children between the age of four to six years. And um, they were recruited from, um, from some kindergarten in Beijing. And so these children participated in a speaking and a listening session, and the sessions took place on different days. In the speaking session, children produced 80 to 160 subject-verb-object sentences in a semi-spontaneous game setting. And um, so there are four tones in Mandarin aligned at each syllable. So tone one is a high tone, and then tone two is a mid-rising tone, and uh, tone three is a low-dipping tone, and then tone four is a high-falling tone. And so um, these subject, verb, object sentences that children were, uh, were producing were all three word sentences of the type, uh, the little rabbit throws the book. So it's like, and I'm not a native speaker uh, or a speaker of Mandarin. So um, I'm not sure if that was done proper properly, but the, um, so what I mean is the subject has subject is a single word and then object or verb is also a single word and then the object is also a single word. Acoustic cues were extracted just from the verb sec, uh, verb part, so that one syllable verb. And we extracted nine time normalized subsegments um, from the verb syllable because um, we wanted to capture the, the various acoustic cue movements like pitch or F0 movements and the spectrum movements as well. 
Um, in addition to F0, again, so we extracted information about the voice quality through the spectral cues. And um, the cues specifically measured were uh, capstrol peak prominence for capturing the aperiodicity in the signal and um, also various uh, relative amplitude differences of the lower and higher harmonics. So we were just talking about the spectral tilt, right? So like uh, higher harmonic minus the, or the lower harmonic minus the higher harmonic will give us like the basic spectral tilt information. So those cues, those spectral cues are the ones that we measured. Um, and all the acoustic cues were um, min-max normalized by speaker and recording session. And um, tokens with loud background noise or wrong target words or octave jumps in the F0 tracking were all systematically and manually removed. Okay, um, and additionally, to illustrate how these four to six-year-old children's production data are comparing to um, uh, comparing to older uh, older children, we adopted the production data from ten seven to eight-year-olds from our previous work, and this was also collected uh, under the same design but without the musicality testing part. So we don't have musicality information from the seven to eight-year-olds, but we have the production data. So we'll be able to see, um, at least in production, whether our um, high versus low musicality groups of the four to six-year-olds are comparing to the seven to eight-year-olds. All right. Uh, and then the musicality part, we were assess, uh, assessing the musicality of the children using the tonal subset of the primary measures of music audiation. And this is a test designed to measure the musical aptitude of children in primary grades, kindergarten to grade three. And um, for each, each question, participants were instructed to listen to two short melodies and then indicate whether the melody was identical or not. Um, given the short attention spans of the younger children, four-year-olds were given 20 questions and uh, older children were given 40 questions. And the musicality scores were evaluated by the, the percentage of uh, correct, uh, cor correct responses and um, also by doing a grade-based percentile norm ranking. So um, what that means, we can see from figure one, if you want to pull that up from, your, uh, from the link that Katarina has shared, um, we see uh, we see the musical di uh, musicality differences among the three age groups in Figure One. So on the left we have the raw score, so that that's the percent correct, and the percentile rank on the right is the um, normalized uh, normalized scores. So um, yeah. And I must also kind of briefly mention that the normaliz normalization on the right um, were based on American children. So it was actually taken from the, uh, the, the testing set. It already provides some normalization for us. So that was used. And so there is some caveat in doing this normalization since these are Mandarin speaking participants and we're normalizing them by the musicality of American children. So there might be some like environmental different, uh, like 
their experience or language experience would have some difference uh, effect on the musicality maybe and maybe that's also why we're getting a very high performance um, across all age groups but regardless of what that tells us um, the raw scores when we look at them we see that the musicality is increasing um, and so the four-year-olds are the worst in terms of um, their performance on the musicality test the six-year-olds are the best but when we when we normalize them by the um, by their grade um, it kind of removes the effect and it's no longer it's just a statistical significance difference so um, what that means is for their age um, each recruited participant group in that age are basically um, typically developing. So the speed of development between four and five-year-olds are not necessarily faster or slower than the, the development between five and six-year-olds. So we, from this, we learn that um, the musicality is indeed increasing, but the rate of increasing rate, rate of uh, the musicality development is pretty typical um, in our recruited participants. And so uh, we decided to use the median of each age group to um, obtain the high versus low musicality groups for each age group. So we have the four low musicality group and then the high musicality group um, split at the median, same for five-year-olds and then same for six-year-olds. And this was done to employ automatic classification of tones uh, on their production data to quantify the tonal contrastivity. So how contrastive are the tones in, um, in their production? So like how distinct is tone one from tone four, tone one from tone two, tone two from tone three, on and on. So um, this is a pretty, um, I guess, new uh, methodology uh, to use in at least the um, at least at least this area, so like linguistics. So automatic classification was specifically chosen because it is very useful in assessing how well a given set of cues could be used to identify the class categories. Um, yeah, so by extracting the accuracy of the automatic classification, we can tell how informative the, the acoustic cues are. So for each age and musicality group, three sets of acoustic cues were used for tone classification. Um, so we used the F0 cues and then the spectral cues that we were talking about. And then finally, um, both F0 and spectral cues, which is uh, to investigate the how um, the cues were integrated and manifesting the tonal contrast. Um, we can go directly to figure two. So we also wanted to verify the um, verify the results across different assumptions about the linearity and the organization of the the multidimensional acoustic space. So um, we we tried three different classification algorithms as well. Uh, linear discriminant analysis on the left, LDA, 
support factor machine um, on the right, sorry, SVM, and then uh, random forest on the in the middle. And um, I must also tell you that we did classification with a uh, tenfold cross-validation split with 100 trials. What that means is we used 90% of the data for testing, or training, sorry, and then 10% for testing. And the um, testing and training process was repeated 100 times with different splits or different samples from the data. And the accuracy score that we're reporting here is, um, is thus a pretty valid and generalizable accuracy and uh, because it has been cross-validated. Okay, so uh, let's go to interpreting the results. So if you see figure two, we'll see that um, in, the, in red solid lines, we see the accuracy from using F0 cues um, in LDA uh, with using LDA uh, random forest or a separate vector, vector machine. Um, but let's not talk too much about how the algorithms were different because uh, if we just look at it, we see that the results are actually quite similar. It seems that um, the different classification algorithms um, did not necessarily give us different results. So let's just, uh, because it has the highest accuracy, let's just look at the SVM results. Um, so if we follow the, the red line in the SVM plot, uh, we see that the four low musicality group and then the four high musicality group has a very steep difference, uh, has a very big difference in accuracy uh, when using F0 cues. And then between five L, the five low musicality and the five high musicality groups, the difference is a little bit smaller, but it's um, still there is a uh, as there is a big um, at least some difference. And then between the six low musicality and the six high musicality group, it's pretty flat. There's only a very small difference. So what that tells us is, um, and I'm sorry, and all of this is still worse than um, the seven to eight year old uh, accuracy using F0 cues. So what that tells us is that uh, use, uh, for F0 cues at least, the, um, the effect of musicality is stronger in the low, um, in the younger kids. So in the four-year-olds, it's pretty big. Five-year-olds, um, it's maybe a little bit weaker, but it's still there. But the six-year-olds, by the age of six, it just kind of uh, becomes much smaller. It just subsides. Okay, so that was for F0 cues. Now let's look at spectral cues. Um, when we look this, when we look at spectral cues, it seems that like accuracy is just generally very low. Um, spectral cues are not the primary cue of uh, tones either, so it is not too surprising to see that the accuracy is lower. But um, we do see that the um, pattern is overall quite similar to the F0 cues. It seems that the musicality. Um, effect is there only in the younger kids. And then finally, at the age of um, seven to eight, it just becomes much better. But now the actual interesting part comes when we look at F0 plus spectral cues. 
So what this is assessing is on top of F0, which is the primary cue, when we add the spectral cues, how much additive information are we adding? And how much, uh, how much does it help in classifying the or identifying the tones? And so that is the blue line, the blue dotted line. And uh, when we look at the four-year-olds, we see that it's actually quite parallel to the F0 cues, and it's not um, necessarily even better than F0 cues. Um, but for the five-year-olds, we see that it's actually um, quite, it's, it's pretty similar. It's also a little bit uh, lower for the five low musicality group. Um, but then for the six-year-olds, um, we see that there is not much musicality effect, but it also goes well beyond um, the accuracy from just using F0 cues, right? So that could kind of hint at us that, oh, now the spectral cues are becoming actually additive, and it's actually um, giving us more information about the tones. And that's regardless of musicality. So I went through this pretty quickly, but um, that's basically the results of our study. So um, for F0 cues, we see that the effect of musicality is it's indeed there. There is an advantage with musicality for only the younger group, younger kids, so four and five-year-olds. But for this, uh, by the age of six, it seems that the effect of musicality on, on the production of F0 cues is pretty weak or very minimal. It's almost like hardly there. For just spectral cues, it just seems like it's co-varying with, uh, it's just uh, parallel to F0. But when we look at the um, F0 plus spectral cues, did um, results we can we can see that the um, in terms of musicality there's not much difference but um, the the spectral information starts to become actually additive from the age of six so um, in a as a very short summary the for f0 there is an effect of musicality in the younger kids and then for the um, for the integration of spectral cues in tones, um, it does not have any effect. Uh, musicality has no effect, but it starts to become informative from the age of six. So, um, so the lack of musicality advantage that we see in the six-year-olds in our data kind of resonates with the findings of previous research that I mentioned on Dutch focus marking uh, for Dutch children. So for uh, in this study, the older kids also had a, had a weaker association between um, prosodic realization of focus and, um, and musicality. So it seems that musicality seems to have some effect um, for the, uh, only the, uh, in the production only in the younger younger groups, but it seems to disappear by some age, but it also depends by the um, prosodic structure, what we're assessing um, and by the language. Um, regarding why there might be an, a musicality advantage in, in prosodic production, only in the younger children group, um, 
we have hypothesized that maybe younger children uh, who do not have a fully developed sensory motor uh, mappings for precise, precise vocal pitch control um, would maybe rely more on the auditory feedback from the perceived pitch during vocalization. So they pay more attention to what they're hearing as they make the sound in the younger, younger, younger children, maybe. Um, but I'm open to discussion and um, comments regarding this hypothesis. Um, that's almost everything I wanted to cover. So I'm now happy to answer more questions or more hear more suggestions or comments from the audience. Yeah, thank you so much for this um, great presentation. Um, yep, yeah, please, everyone in the audience, please raise your hands if you have a question or anyone here on the stage, please flash your mics if you have questions. And um, yeah, you're welcome to come up here and uh, ask questions, discuss comments. Um, so yeah, please um, do. And in the meantime, I'll ask Nari a question. So um, yeah, it's really interesting that in different languages you you see um, you see similar results. I thought that was I I don't know. I thought it was kind of surprising, but so I really like your hypothesis that um, you know your hypothesis that you stated. So um, do you think? Um, that if you would test uh, maybe um, like if you would do this study in children with different disabilities um, or maybe autism and so on would you hypothesize that there would be maybe a difference or are you planning to maybe do so um I'd love to see more studies on this but I don't have specific plans for testing uh, children with some disabilities, but I would I would think that um, if the disability has something uh, has an effect on the sensory motor mappings or the auditory feedback part, um, then it would probably have a different effect. So like musicality would have a different or like maybe enlarged effect, enlarged advantage um, on language development or prosodic development um but yeah i would love to see more work on this yeah um yeah thank because i was thinking because you know music therapy is um, mm -hmm. I, they're such a big part in like autism and attention deficit disorder i think that would be really interesting to you know study it same way you did it um, yeah I think that would be really great right yeah yeah and mm -hmm. no, no, go ahead. the methodology just makes it a little easier to test like you just need to get two groups producing different things and then we'll just run automatic classification on the tones or some kind of prosodic structure so yeah yeah yeah, Anyone it would be. Wants to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We had um, we had on Monday, so yesterday morning, we had the 
uh, autism researcher here from Israel. She's um, she did like um, she, she's like the director of this institute, and she uh, made basically this diagnosis framework that you can assess already under one year old um, kids if they have high risk factor for autism. So I thought, yeah, maybe that would be interesting to bring you two together or that she will read your paper and then maybe maybe use that in her clinic. That would be interesting. Oh, wow. One year old. <laughs> yeah. That's one year old. Yeah, she continues treat like they treat then, but they they saw that the sooner you can basically see the risk factor, like the better it will be long term. Right, so. right, yeah. We're gonna have to open up a new class of participants for for one year olds. Exactly. Now that will be difficult, but very very interesting. Barry, I had a quick question. So if I heard you right, it seemed that the the, the people in the uh, seven to eight year old category versus the four to six year old category had a better performance. Mm -hmm. Is yes. that right? And so, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that their brains are more developed. Is that, and we're completely speculating here, but would you, yeah. what do you think about that? Right. Um... Like we would be, we would also want to see if musicality has an effect in the seven to eight year olds. But um, I would assume from the trend that we're seeing here, um, it it'll probably have a very minimal or to or no effect, and um, that is probably because in exactly what we're saying, um, brain development, language development, um, most of the 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 parts that we're testing here are probably um, nearly complete. And so we'll actually see something like a like a ceiling effect by the age of seven to eight, um, and but there is something that I do want to say is that um, the regarding the spectral cue development, we in a previous work um, we have found that the spectral development a uh, spectral cue development is actually not complete even at the age of ten to eleven, so. Um, yeah, so on top of 7 to 8, uh, we had 10 to 11, and in that work, we found that the spectral cues were actually not adult-like, not fully adult-like by then. So um, the development is not complete at this age, 7 to 8 or 10 to 11, but um, as you were saying, I think maybe because um, they have a uh, probably a more developed mapping between um, in mapping between the the sounds and the either in the lang in the language so like actual uh production and language mapping or uh in actually controlling the vocal folds independently independent of language um there will be multiple factors uh in regarding like what, do, what part of brain development that is but um, it seems that by the age of seven to eight, they do have a um, pretty good um, near ceiling effect. Um, so the returns diminish basically as you get older. Is that what I'm hearing? The return of musicality is, uh, yeah, they do diminish as they get older. Um, 
Yes. But what we would really, really want to test is actually getting like, um, so when we look at figure one, we see that the, the performance on the musicality test, it just gets better and better. Um, and it's already like beyond 90 at the point of age six. And there will be more musicality tests um, available for older, older kids. But um, what we really want to test is if we get like uh, a music children and a music children who are a music um, at the age of four and at the age of 10 to 11, um, whether musicality has any versus those um, who are not a music. If there's still no effect um, of musicality at the age of seven to, seven to eight or 10 to 11, we'll, we'll probably be able to say that, oh, musicality effect is diminishing by age. Um, but what I'm saying is, uh, as I mentioned in like the beginning of the talk, the A music population is quite small. Um, it's like 4% of the general population, people say. So it's probably possible that we won't get, um, when we just recruit participants, they might not be all the way to A music, um, all the way A music. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be good to have like a broader spectrum of musicality every time we test this. But at least from the typically developing group that we got, it seems that the effect is diminishing. Could we just define A music in case people were not um, aware of the definition? Oh, A music meaning um, they are tone deaf and they are not able to perceive differences in pitch. And studies have found that amusia does affect the, um, at least the perception of prosodic cues as well. Um, and for the adults though, it seems that the production part is, is pretty intact, regardless of whether they're amusic or not. Um, but at what point they, uh, the effect of amusia on prosodic production disappears is still uh, remains to be studied. It's just interesting that you mentioned that a musical participants were 4%, given that, you know, on a standard distribution, it'd be 1.5% on the edges. Mm. I think it's just by the definition of like where the, where the cutoff is really. Surely. CC, you had something? Oh, I think she's speaking. Sorry, no scientist. Oh, I guess she dropped. Who, who else was that? Crystal? Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm Hello? not a scientist. I just wanted to understand musicality. Like, what is musicality and what is... I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm a bit clueless on the topic, so I just wanted to learn. Oh, Thank sure. You. I mean, I'm sorry, it's a very idiotic question. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, Of course. So the term musicality... I've been referring to is uh, refers to the individual's cognitive capability for processing musical cues um, and that's shaped by both like your innate ability to process musical cues and musical training 
So basically, how good are you in in uh, in appreciating and processing the musical components, like such as pitch differences or temporal cues, is um, the part that music the term musicality would assess or the tests for musicality. And does it mm -hmm. does it extend to replication of the noises? Uh, I of noises. Can you explain? Well, the to, the ability to replicate the sound, whatever the sound. Is. Oh, I see. I think imitation is not part of the most musicality tests, so they don't necessarily test production when they um, do when when they run musicality tests on such as these children or in other studies. Um, there are multiple versions of musicality tests, so I think some of them actually do include like how well do you replicate or like imitate the sound that you heard. Um, but for the most part, people usually um, talk about musicality as how good are you in pitch processing and temporal processing of cues. Does that answer the question, Crystal? Yeah, well, there's, there's, there is a term um, playing by the ear. It's not exactly, it's, I think, a few levels higher, a bit different from what you're discussing. Like, if you're a musician mm -hmm. and you listen to a tune, you're able to play it by the ear. Yeah. Okay. And many of these people do not have any formal knowledge of chords and notes and all that, but they just intuitively, instinctively, pick up the fretboard of the guitar or the piano keys and I mean it's a sort of a talent it's it's it's, it's a sort of a more literal replication of what you heard mm -hmm. you know but that's yeah that's that's just music that's not audionics that's not like vocals vocals May, maybe that accounts for the differential between the normal curve of 1.5 percent and this finding of four percent hmm. yeah um Right. So like, I mean, there are people, so if we just focus on like pitch part, um, like the A music people would be like tone deaf. They wouldn't be able to tell whether two sounds were higher uh, or different in pitch or not. Um, but there's like the absolute pitch people who are able to even identify what frequency or like um, tune, tune to that frequency without even like, or they're able to just pick up the guitar tune it without a external reference right and that's like what people exactly. talk about yeah say exactly. like absolute pitch they already have they don't need to compare they just already know the frequency by heart <laughs> you know why i asked this why i said this is that i would actually like to develop that ability i've been trying to fucking learn how to play the guitar for 20 years but i am i'm not a disciplined person and i have a spinal cord problem <laughs> Yeah, I have a spinal cord problem. So my, uh, if anybody knows the spinal cord, like C3, C4, C4, C5, C5, C6, 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 C7, that's like pretty much my entire fucking neck. So if I hold the guitars right in front of me for more than 10 minutes, it's just, you know, the pain becomes unbearable. So I, you know, I've been, I've been trying to as quickly as possible, like in 10 minute spurts, you know what I'm saying? And you, you say this to a guitarist, they laugh at you. How can I, how can you play a tune in just 10 minutes? But here I am, I'm a problem solver. So this is 
this is what attracted me to you. I was like, okay, is maybe these guys could come up with a way that you could, in the shortest possible time, train your mind to understand a tune and with basic music knowledge replicate it. Well, that's my selfish interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I know there's it's probably a... impossible. <laughs> you could start with the instrument you're born with, your voice, and learn to sing. And then it'll sound even better than your guitar, and you'll be able to sing longer, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And you don't have to carry, you, ca you can carry your voice with you everywhere you go. You don't need a case for it. Yeah, and nowadays you have like your phone, so you can always just like have like a like a tune um, tuner on your phone, and then try to train yourself. Like, oh, um, I make like ah, uh, is that like a okay? I I'm not an absolute pitch person, so I don't know what that <laughs> note actually was, but um, you can like get guess and then train yourself. Like, oh, that was actually an A, but it. I thought it was a C or something like that. Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah, I can practice <laughs> it, but I don't have a I don't have a good voice. I can wake the dead up, or maybe you know kill the kill those alive with my voice. But yeah, I I love the sound of the guitar and the piano. So I mean that sound in itself is like therapy. So when I hear the guitar or when I hear the piano, it's it's got a soothing and relaxing effect that my vo voice doesn't definitely doesn't have that effect on me when I hear myself speak or sing. I'm sorry to go out of order. My name's Gary, and I play the trombone. And I'd like to say something that I think might be uh, some, somewhat inspiring for Crystal Heart, if you don't mind. Your volume is a little so low, please, Gary. Please, by all means. Sorry, is that better? Yes, yeah, a little better. Can you hear me now? Perfect. A, a little bit better? Yes. <laughs> okay. Because um, it's going to be a maybe a little bit louder than this, but you can take um, some kind of guitar effect pedal and put your voice through it and do this. I'm going to press the button right now. And that was my voice. I was just talking. That's all I did. And it sounded much better than my voice. In fact, that sounds like you're playing electric guitar. So if you want to sing and play electric guitar, you can actually have your voice sound like a guitar with a simple setup. Just ask your friend to get you a mic and a guitar effects pedal, and then you'll sound like that. You'll sound like that. It's possible, yeah. and it's fun. Uh, you're right, you're right. I have guitar pedals. In fact, an even better idea that I've been exploring is like they have these light iPad or iPhone or whatever connected, uh, basically the guitar necks, they're very, very light. And some of them, I, I had something called the Iron Guitar. It was like an old thing, and it, it it sounded horrible. That was the only thing about it. It didn't sound <laughs> I'm that I'm sorry, nice we're probably enough. getting way off topic. I, I really hate that I j just burst in with that, but I thought that might inspire you to, uh, to Yeah, to thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's cool that you already had, had that. You have a question? Yeah, any other questions? Well, we have Gary, the trumpet player. Is that you? Was that you, Gary? Yeah, that was me. I'm the, I'm the trombone player. And um, I remember I I've been in your rooms. Oh, cool. I've been yeah, yeah, I know. Your, I know. your mother you. was there. So your much. mother was there, I remember. Exactly. Yeah. I, wow. Hey, yeah. I, um, You're one Nari of the best. And the experts, Katarina and Nari, I do have a question because I read an article many, many years ago and I was blown away by the article. I remember the feeling of eating breakfast at a hotel and picking up the newspaper. And there was an article about learning music improves your linguistic ability. And that if you're a s student of music, piano, singing, whatever, 
you're listening to music, you're playing music, reproducing music, learning by ear, learning by reading the music, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, it improves your linguistic ability. I'm like, what? This doesn't make sense. And they said, you can learn, you can become bilingual easier. You can read between the lines and kind of catch what people are saying. And your listening ability to what people are saying becomes uh, stronger. Your skill set in language is stronger through learning music. Does what you're studying and this uh, studies that you're doing in tone reproduction and language, does that have something to do with that at all? Um, certainly. So yeah, exactly what you mentioned. So there are people saying that like different aspects of language is learned much better when you have musical training or like if you are if you have higher musicality. So like it's not even limit limited to prosody. So prosody, as in like um, these super segmented elements with pitch and temporal cues, that's maybe a little bit more intuitive in imagining uh, why musicality might actually have an effect. But like for syntactic processing um, or uh, reading, verbal, like memory, vocabulary, uh, people have found that there is actually some positive effect and second language learning as well. Um, there's a lot of studies on this uh, showing that Musicality, for some reason, has a uh, very positive effect on uh, language learning. And so, yeah, it's, it's related. Um, and the reason why we focus particularly on like prosody is because it's more direct and it's uh, more interpretable and we can kind of imagine why that might be. And maybe from here we could expand on like what, explaining why there is an effect uh, a positive effect of musicality on other aspects of language acquisition or uh, second language or first language acquisition. Yeah, you were when I came into the room, you were talking about Chinese students, Chinese kids. And I know that in Chinese, people say there, there's musicality in the language and the language itself has tones. Um, the word for mother and the word for horse and other words sound the same to me but they sound different for Chinese people mm -hmm. so ma 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 <laughs> so like people are singing it sounds like they're singing when they're speaking and I think that's really interesting it's a close relationship between sort of musical uh, something musical and speech but um, now the question then is I guess the question for everyone is why isn't everyone picking up an instrument and learning how to play like is that or is that a secret like if I knew that that improved my language skills I'd be going to learn the piano right this minute. <laughs> so it just calluses like... on my fingers. I was trying to le learn the guitar, but the calluses just, you know, got worse and worse. So that's my excuse. Stink. Come on. <laughs> singing is bad. No, singing or piano or like something else, or you don't, I don't know, like maybe, um, but I don't know. It's, it just seems natural that if you know that music has so many benefits and it also soothes and it's um, people use music for healing too, right? You were talking a little bit about that earlier. It just makes sense that um, you know people should just bring music into their lives uh, a little bit more. But yeah, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. It just <laughs> seems like it's a secret. We're we're taking a turn into the realm of the vagus nerve. <laughs> I don't. Right. Know. What is the yeah, vagus nerve? Yeah, totally Dennis, you want to explain that a little bit more? Sure. So uh, the vagus nerve is a nerve that runs from your brain down through uh, at least your stomach, 
and there are internal and external vagus nerve stimulators, uh, which are um, lawful to sell per the FDA in the United States. And what they do is they generate a megahertz tone. I don't know what they are, what those tones are, but um, via that mechanism, internal or external stimulation, you can increase what is called vagal tone. And people who have a better vagus tone, vagal tone, um, tend to have better health, as far as I understand. That's kind of a loose correlation. I'm not going to really qualify that. But the point is that if you are a singer or um, you play an instrument, the drums, um, a sitting drum, whether you're sitting at the drum set, like a, you know, like a hair band or something, or a guitar singing, anything, that is an internal and external vagus stimulation. So that could, yeah, that's an interesting interplay between biology and external forces. That is interesting. I dig it. Yeah, that is definitely quite interesting. Um, Nari, I wanted to check in with you um, on time because it's, you know, coming to half past the hour uh, just to see how much more time you have with us or, you know, just let us know. Um, if there are any other burning questions, I'm happy to, or any suggestions or comments. I'm not running short on anything, so. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah, thanks, though. Does your um, study, do you think that this study helps support um, musical intervention in like pre-K or kindergarten before they turn six years old? Sorry, can you repeat the question again? So if someone hypothetically wanted to um, put funding in for uh, music development and they just wanted to target it to the best ages, does this study kind of suggest that it should be um, before the age of six that they should to, um, gain some kind of benefit mm -hmm. or am I misunderstanding? Yeah, um, yes, target it to the younger, chil younger children who are able to actually gain some, um, it, like actually have some benefit from the musical training. Um, but yeah, there is some caveat though. Like, so in um in the Dutch study that I was citing, um, they found that the effect goes up all the way to like around ten to eleven, I think, or ten, I think. But for our study, it seems that it's um for at least for tone learning, it's before six that has um some musicality advantage. So for diff for different aspects of language learning, it might actually differ. Like, when is the the time where you could actually uh, still have some uh, musicality benefit. But in general, I think younger the better. Cool, thank you very much. Thanks for the suggestion. Hey Frank, how are you? Do you have a question? Oh, hi, Katerina. Thanks, uh, uh, and Dennis for 
Imam Yap. Uh, sorry, I'm late to the you know uh, excellent uh, presentation discussion here today. Uh, just quickly from the uh, probably uh, not you know uh, educated from the previous uh, discussion might have been asked. So so this study has been focusing on one language. How how about other cross like, like cultural like English and other some languages probably have different pitches or tonality. I mean. Probably this has been discussed. Sorry for repeating it. No problem. Um, yeah, so for Mandarin, which is a tonal language, there is some musicality advantage at the uh, before the age of six. Um, for the Dutch study that I was citing, it seems that uh, before, I mean, before the age of 10, there seems to be some positive correlation be um, between like focus marking uh, through prosodic cues and uh, musicality. Um, there are some studies in perception uh, in the speech in, in the spe speech perception side showing that at the age of eight, for example, um, in in French or Portuguese uh, speaking children, there is a positive correlation between their musical training and um, their ability to detect pitch differences in sentences. Um, so I think it'll probably be quite cross-linguistic, um, that there will be some musicality effect, but, um, as we were just discussing, it might be, uh, w at what age and, um, the effect is stronger is probably varying by the, the prosodic structure that we're looking at or, um, by the structure of the language, um, by the language, yeah. So, yeah, that's. I think. Did I did I answer Thank the question? For okay. the, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. So, just curious, the is the age four uh, or five uh, somehow related to the proning process in the brain in the neurons? Um, I'm not so familiar with this process. Um, anyone. The, the, I think Katarina will be an expert uh, on that. <laughs> I think we had this uh, earlier discussion with uh, Paul King on the the what well, the newborn uh, that the brain of newborn uh, has uh, um, the most uh, redundancy in their uh, you know, neuron uh, uh, capability, and then to the age four, I believe, is the hit the 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 the, the high point of the. Uh, I mean, the pruning starts to uh, take place until some age of uh, 18 or 20. I don't remember the exact, but you can look it up, I think. Mm. Um, can, can you repeat the, the, the paper that you were mentioning or the, the talk that you were talk, uh, you were mentioning that was Oh sure, I'll 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 look I'll uh, I'll back channel you. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, sure, yeah. And then, is there any reference point for English, given that it does not rely so heavily on tonality? Um, for English. In the speech perception, um, there was a study on British English, 
uh, for the adults, showing that um, for uh, that musicality or a music uh, population were almost uh, were as good as almost as good as the non a music population in their imitation of sentence uh, sentence prosody sentence intonation. Um, I don't think there were any on children. Um, but I might be I might be wrong. But I think um, in terms of like their reliance on tonality or like or, or pitch is in is used in all languages, um, but at different levels of the prosodic structure. So it could be at sentence uh, phrasal level, or it could be at like the lexical tone level, like Mandarin. Um, it does seem like um, the to uh, lexical tone, because it's at the lower level, it's probably um, it's it requires more uh, faster pitch processing, um, but it probably extends to other levels as well. So that's why we're hypothesizing that it'll be for most, um, it'll be the same, uh, the musicality effect will be the same for like um, different languages. Oh, and for that Dutch, Dutch is quite similar in terms of um, their prosodic structure as English. And there um, we saw some effects, so. Any other questions? Um, yeah, um, if you have any other questions in the audience, please let us know. Or um, if not, um, also Nari is already speaking for one hour and a half, a little bit longer. So um, I also don't want to take too much of your time. Um, but um, yeah, I think, you know, your work is so interesting and you're starting your new job in April. So <laughs> that's also exciting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, maybe, I don't know if you will be allowed to share any um, updates on, you know, your research, but uh, you're always welcome back to come here to Science Society. And also, thank you, Jian uh, Jing. I hope I said your name right, uh, Professor. Thank you for coming and supporting. Um, maybe you, yeah, we can arrange another date again if you would like with some research updates or future research yeah i'm glad to be here it's very interesting society very stimulating discussion <laughs> thank you yeah yeah thank you yeah um we have um you know almost every day i guess speaker during the week um so yeah, if you're interested to hear about all kinds of different science um, current research updates, um, yeah, please come back um, and follow the club. Uh, we have tomorrow Dr. Kukuchi uh, who will talk about um, 
the the experience that they experiments they did in the lab and to show how cells eat and then dr cunningham from um, oxford he will come to talk about a white dwarf accreting planetary material so um he's a physicist and then we'll have dr priyadarshini uh, about suppressing genes across generations and on Saturday, how mitochondria act as micro lenses in cone cells. So yeah, we cover all kinds of topics and the discussions are pretty interesting because people are from very different backgrounds. Um, so um, yeah, the questions reflect that in the discussion. So I think it's a very unique setting here on Clubhouse to have these scientific discussions. So yeah it's and we really appreciate you coming here and um and joining us so yeah thank you so much thank you it was a uh, yeah, great to be able to talk to a new audience and i'm yeah i see like alerts about your society i'm already following and there seems to be very exciting talks so join in whenever i have time <laughs> oh thank you That's, i think i saw you the other day but i think it was yeah i was i was there <laughs> it was more spontaneous topic i we try to make like some days that we just have like roundtable discussion about uh you know a topic or a paper that we read um i see so, yeah i think we when you were there that was kind of a room like that so yeah <laughs> great so yeah thank you everyone for coming and um uh, Katarina, yeah, just quickly, yeah. i'll just uh, uh, mention the reference uh nari uh i see you have a party hat so that means uh, you're new so if you uh can i mean uh follow me so that i can back channel the links so so far for the pruning uh, one uh, direct link is wikipedia is actually synapt synaptic pruning that's the keyword. And there actually, Google turns out there's, I mean, the, the answer probably is uh, 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 positive, uh, affirmative. The pruning is definitely important in the process of early uh, learning of language and uh, music. So there are two uh, links, if you're interested, I can also share with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for your, yeah. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> So um, Gary said he was so kind to offer to close the room with some music since it was research about musicality. So I hope. How could um, I not offer a little musicality for a research uh, <laughs> dissertation here from soon-to-be Professor Nori, Dr. Nori on uh, Nari on uh, music? So just a ten or fifteen seconds before you close the room, just give me the cue when you're ready to close the room, and I'll play a little bit. That's so perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's the beauty of Clubhouse. We get like all Thank kinds you. of people that are kind and nice. And yeah, and congratulations to, you know, soon to be finished your dissertation. I know it's a stressful time. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Congratulations on that. So Syria, she's also finishing soon her um, her thesis. So, you know, you both are. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday is 
Okay, so yeah, what a wonderful closing of the room. So Gary, go ahead and uh, we'll close the room in a a little bit, but we'll listen um, to Gary. So thank you. I'm going to make this up. I'm going to make up 10 or 20 seconds of music and then you just close the room when you want. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thank you.